Vintage Sand. Hello, Vintage Sand fans. Josh Cabot here, basking in the afterglow of a lovely Thanksgiving. Hope you had the same. And here to introduce very briefly the second part of episode 34, No Small Parks 2, our exploration of our favorite overlooked and underloved performances by best supporting actresses over the years. And as I mentioned, we go all the way back to someone who began her career before 1910, all the way through people who are working today. Today, you get to hear our number twos, number ones, our honorable mentions, our necrology, and John's quiz, which is a good one this time. So check it out. Give us your feedback at www.vintagesand.com. And brace yourselves because in a couple of days we'll be recording our next episode, Alternate Oscars, the 1930s edition. Oh my, strap yourselves in. Enjoy, and we'll see you metaphorically very soon. All right, so we climb ever higher. The air gets thinner, the trees get smaller, and here we go. Number two. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. Just my <laughs> feverish little brain. Um, number two, Johnny. Who's your number two? Okay. Agnes Moorhead in oh The Magnificent Amberson. In eight million different things. And Dark Passage. And I'm also going to mention Magnificent Obsession. She's also known as Endora on Bewitched. Right. She's so good in Amberson. Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Yes, she is. Yes. Talk about a varied career. I mean, part of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. She was uh, acting on radio, stage, film, and TV, and a long career. I mean, just all over the place. She never stopped. Anyway, in The Magnificent Ambersons, 1942, directed by Orson Welles, Moorhead plays Fanny Minifer. She's the aunt who yearns for romantic love and a life of her own outside of the family, something more than just being an aunt. But as time goes by, she sees her dreams dying. Mm. I mean, it's really, it's a sad character. Oh, her in that house towards the end. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Um, if you haven't seen The Magnificent Anderson, and if you like anything Orson Welles has done, you have to see that. But uh, she has moments of real raw emotion that was rare in that era of filmmaking. And she said that Wells had her do the scene when she's leaning against the boiler uh, several times, telling her to do it different ways. Said, play it like an insane person. Let's do it again. Play it like a child. Do it again. Play it like you're drunk, etc. All these different things. And she said she just didn't understand what he was doing. And finally, uh, she, he was told, okay, now play it. And she incorporated all these different things that she experienced into the character, and it makes the character so full. And you can see the different aspects when she has that that breakdown. And I, I just I love that part when when he says, "Don't like lean against the boiler like this. It's cold <laughs> because they have no money left." <laughs> I think she. I mean, a lot a lot of good performances. I know Michael, yeah. how you feel about Tim Holt? Not a big Tim Holt fan. That yeah, may be the weakness of the film. Yeah, he had a period of few years. He was showing up in a lot of really good movies. I don't know how because he wasn't Sierra that good Madre, actor. for example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't even like him in that. Um, <laughs> Although I love the movie. Yeah, no, yeah. but she is, she is, she's great in that. And, yeah, and you mentioned the other movie. Of other, I want yeah. to message is Dark Passage. It's not a great movie. No, but uh, 1947, directed by Delmore Davies, she plays the romantic interests of Humphrey Bogart, and she has this great confrontational scene with Bogart near the end of the movie, and the scene works so well because of Moorhead's performance. And I don't want to tell you what happens, or I'll ruin it for you. 
yeah. I, you got to see it just to, just to see her in it. I don't want to say anything more because I will ruin the scene if I tell you much more. <laughs> but you were also going to mention the Magnificent Obsession, 1954, directed Cirque by film. Douglas Sirk. Which Douglas Sirk, I could never really figure out: was he making a soap opera or making a comment about a soap opera? Yes, I always uh, thought yes. Yeah, that's why I love Sirk. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're visually they're they're beautiful. Oh yeah. But um, if you haven't seen it, you have to watch of her because she plays it as if. It's like you're watching an actor who knows the private joke that's going on that nobody else gets. <laughs> and it's really funny. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> no, I love it. And, and God, I even love her. Her debut, obviously, was Kane. I love her. She's yeah. in Kane. Oh, she's wonderful. Oh, oh, she's great minutes. in Kane. Oh, my God. Yep. I, and she has she has one of the great shots of the movie when the camera moves down. You see her bending on it. It's, it's as if... That that one shot is that's what he's remembering for the rest of his life. Yep, that's the moment. Yeah. I've had his trunk packed. I've had his packed for a week. Yeah. By the way, I just finished showing Citizen Kane to my film class, and and they liked it. So hey! Good, I mean, I, I had to talk them through I it. I just and don't understand the reluctance of Citizen Kane. I don't well, get it. Because it's a really depressing movie. Not no, only that, but, but it's, it's black fun. and white, and it's, it's long and takes, and yeah. it's it's a very heavy topic, and it's nonlinear, and it's all. And, and yeah. but you know, I think I had a couple of people who had a couple of kids who had seen it once, and they said they understood it and liked it much more because I'd stop at different points and point things out. So hopefully. I, I I've made a couple of Wells fans out of my uh, oh, my high how, school kids. I watched it recently, and I have to say that last ten minutes, when he has the the confrontation with Susan, and she says to him, "Oh, you know," he says, "I don't do this to me." You can't she, do this to me, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I see. This is you. you it's yes. Being yeah. Exactly. And he destroys the room. And then walks down that long hallway, and then it the goes. Mirrors. To, yeah, the mirrors, and then it goes to the camera panning over all that stuff that has been accumulated over the years, and you follow the camera to the furnace, and you see the sled thrown into the furnace. Spoiler this, alert! Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is still, still like one of the most powerful ten minutes of film ever, ever. It's, I, it's amazing. It's, it's I, I worthy of its, its reputation, and I'm really excited because, of course, Kane won the Sight and Sound poll in every year except last 52, time. which was Bicycle Thieves, Bicycle Thieves, and the last one, which Vertigo which won. Is, but the next one's coming out next year, so I'm, I'm curious really because to I told you what happened when I had recently saw Vertigo at the yeah. film yeah, forum, and it was right. not it was well not received well, yeah. by the younger audience. Maybe Passion know, of Joan of Arc I, will finally be But I know one. younger people who have seen Vertigo will love it. Yeah. Okay, so it's well. not it's not all younger people, but I'm glad to hear that high school kids yep. liked Citizen Well, Games. spoiler alert, I will... By the way, I, for Hitchcock, I showed them Rear Window, and they adored it. Well, so, oh, yeah, well I mean, how can you I not told, like Rear Window? I have said this three times. If you don't like Rear Window, you don't have a pulse. <laughs> Rear, Rear Window's very... I really accessible. feel that way. Yeah. Rear Window's very accessible. Yes. yes, and that's why I showed it instead of Vertigo, which is... Yeah, yeah. it's probably... It's more fun. Good. Spoiler alert, Vertigo's coming up again in a few minutes, so... But before that... Talk about a film that my students love. When I taught the um, uh, the Young Film Critics program at BAM, which I did for about a decade uh, a few years ago, um, the f- I showed different films every year, but some I'd keep in rotation. And one of them that always worked and was usually at least half the class's favorite film 
every year was Night of the Hunter, which we which we talked about in episode ten when we were talking about our one hit wonder directors, and we had different ones, but we all agreed that we everyone else was fighting for second place. Right. It was Charles Lawton's only film. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Shelley Winters gives an amazing supporting performance in it, but you know, we're, the performance I want to focus on is my number two is Lillian Gish, because uh-huh. it was, I mean, our, our first great movie star, um, who you know really, you know, there's that legendary story about Louise Brooks sort of making fun of the characters she played, you know, sort of sexless and you know, and didn't make a good transition into. I mean, she always worked. She always she did. She went to she did theater and such, but. In Night of the Hunter, she's got to embody... She, it's an allegory. And she has to embody good, capital G, good, as the balancing force against Robert Mitchum's... You know, she's love yeah. on the one hand, yeah. and he's hate on the other. She, yeah. and, and hard enough to, for anyone to play an allegorical character, but she, as Rachel Cooper in that film, is, is just a, literally a shining beacon. You almost see like a light shining around her and she yeah. is the perfect foil for him and unlike her heroines for Griffith you know when she was Leeds you know she was always she was tough you know in in in, uh, in Way Down East in in Birth of a Nation in Broken Blossoms and all of those films but um you know sort of helpless silent movie yeah it was also something of that era too right you know? like, and but Rachel Cooper is, you know, is pretty handy with a shotgun. Yeah, as she's it turns one tough out. lady. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and she says, well, "There's so many great lines that she has." She says, "I'm a strong tree with branches from many birds. I'm good for something in this old world, and I know it too." And she literally, and she takes the two kids in, and she's got the kids with her, and so, so she is saintly, but visceral, tough. Yeah. I mean, this, and of course, the, my, the best scene is when she, the one that she and Mitchum appear in together when oh. she's on the porch. Oh, God. With the kid. And, and, and they essentially duet on leaning on the everlasting yeah. arm. And it's yeah. just, and her, we've seen his power and, and the ferocity of his evil. Yeah. I mean, the best shot in the film, and one of, I think, the 20 greatest shots in all of film is Shelley Winters at the bottom of the river. Oh. Right. In the car. I mean, yes. which is just my, my students, you know, who are used to all kinds of violence yeah. in, in film. It, they, they, it catches their breath. But she's so, she's so good at being capital G good. And she's, and again, some of the lines, she, the line I always love, you know, she says, you know, when you're little, you have more endurance than God is ever to grant you again. Children are man at his strongest. They abide. Good Lord, and she is their salvation. She is their rock, yeah. and she and she is she is a woman of the Holy Spirit, but not obnoxiously so. Not in a Bible thumping way. She just is good. Yeah, and she is saving these children, not just John and Pearl, but all of the kids who stay with her. It's the middle of the Depression, remember. The film is set, you know, when there are a lot of kids wandering the road. And for someone who was always a lead and for someone, she doesn't show up really until the very end of the film. Yeah, so and, definitely. And it is just a jaw-dropping performance by 
you know, a woman who we take for granted. And again, her, as you say, suggest John, her silent roles seem kind of silly and old-fashioned and fussy. Well, I, I don't. I didn't mean it that way. I think as far as the portrayal of women, right? Of, exactly. Of especially feminine, Griffith's portrayal. Yeah, especially, of women. Yes. Yes. Right. He idealized <laughs> that they had like a certain certain role. That they were very even for that time. They were kind of old-fashioned. He was like back in a Victorian age. Right. Yes. Very much so uh, in yeah. terms of gender and yeah. in terms of race and yes. terms. So, yes. Uh, I, I, I love her in, in uh, that movie. Oh, God. So, yes. I remember uh, watching uh, the tribute uh, when she was getting the award from the American Film Institute. And she was only the second female uh, to get it at the time. And I watched the entire thing and I realized the only talkie that they showed a clip from. Was Night of the Hunter. Was Night of the Hunter. Yep. Mm. Everything else was the silence from Griffith, you know. I remember reading once that uh, Lawton told her that basically, she, you're Mother Goose. But yeah. Mother Goose, who's yeah. pretty handy with yes. a shotgun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so for my number two, it's, you know, legend doesn't even begin to do justice to who she was oh. but Lillian Gish as Rachel Cooper in Charles Lawton's saying goes she invented the close up yep yes. it, in Lawton's one and only film uh, and listen to episode 10 where we talk about it more uh, The Night of the Hunter from 1954 also um, photographed by Stanley Cortez who did The who did Ambersons. Ambersons that's right the names keep coming up Mikey number two okay number two I cheated good I have a tie we but all oh, I just did that too I so <laughs> But, Ego te absolvo. <laughs> um, these are two films that came out one after the other of from the 70s, back to the 70s again, by Ingmar Bergman. And they even have, these actresses even have the same last name. Harriet Anderson from Cries and Whispers. Sure. And B.B. Anderson from Scenes from a Marriage. And they both had interesting uh, careers with Bergman. Um, Harriet Anderson basically started off very, very young. She was in the, what I would call the sexy Bergman period. Uh, the movies such as um, uh, My Summers with... Um, like the uh, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, right, Summer yeah. with Monica, A Lesson in Love, Smiles of a Summer, Summer Night. Summer Night, she, sure, yeah. She's the lusty maid in that. And then uh, she gradually... Um, uh, um, she got older. She got older. She graduated <laughs> to middle-aged roles. It happened to the nicest homes. Middle-aged roles. Um, Everyone gets older except you, John Meyer. <laughs> I told yes. you, don't open that don't closet. Open closet. <laughs> um, especially with th uh, Through a Glass Darkly. That was her first film where, okay, she's not playing the lusty uh, yeah. femme fatale. She's playing a rather schizophrenic woman. But Cries and Whispers, now I know you two do not share my enthusiasm and, uh, with uh, that movie. And that movie. I, I love Bergman. Yeah, and, I love Bergman. I admire there, that film. I don't there love is, there is a There is widely um, divergent uh, opinions of it. Pauline Kael says uh, there was a 19th century dullness to the heart of it. Hmm. On the other hand, David Thompson says it's 91 minutes of the best film ever made. So, you know, it's... I'm in between. I don't think it's the best film ever made, hardly. But I do. But Harriet Anderson, as a dying spinster mm -hmm. of three sisters, she plays Agnes. She is dying of cancer of the uterus. And what she does, she shows all of this pain. You, you see it just in the, in, the, in the beginning moments of this. Uh, she's struggling to get out of bed to, to uh, write into her diary. 
And all she writes is, it's September 28th and I am in pain. And she mm. underlines pain. And then uh, later on, the doctor comes to see her. And she knows there's nothing they can do. And, and he starts, you know, poking around. And she just takes his hand and just holds it. She, and looks at him like, I know, this is it. And she winds up dying that day. And then when she uh, does die, she is screaming in pain. How she did it, I don't know. As an actor, I don't think I could do what she did. Mm. Acting, acting-wise. I, 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 it was impossible to me. I, I don't know how he rehearsed it. Uh, supposedly, on his sets, they were a lot of fun. <laughs> I can't imagine on this one. Interesting. Yeah. Party on the Faroe Islands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she is just so, so brilliant in this. And uh, she did not really get recognized for how brilliant she was. Uh, Liv Ullman got kind of most of the critics' awards. Because also that year, she also did The Immigrants. And, um, uh, and also, Harriet Anderson is still with us. She's uh, 89. She uh, recently was in uh, Dogville. Oh, the Von Trier. Yeah. She played one of the little old ladies in Dogville, and she also worked for Sidney Lumet in The Deadly Affair, mm. which she was quite good. Uh, she was James Mason's wife right. in that. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, she is tied with B.B. Anderson. Oh, I love B.B. Anderson. So do I. I love B.B. Anderson. So do I. I um, um, and this is, a, this is the last film she did for Bergman. She did... Uh, Smaller roles in um, Wild Strawberries, in um, Seven Seal, um, All These Women. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking around for my B.B. Uh, Anderson. Um, well, Persona. Her, her performance in Persona is, I consider, if we ever had to list a 10 greatest female performances ever. No argument. She'd be up there. No argument. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, I, I feel the same way about her. She is so, so good in it. And, and, um, but this was her last uh, Bergman film, and she has a relatively small part. She plays Katrina, and she plays the uh, best friend of uh, the characters played by Liv Ullman and Erlene Johansson. And she and her husband are supposedly trying to have an open relationship. And deep down, she's not having any of it. And at one point, and she's only in the film for like eight, nine minutes, she just explodes mm. and starts hitting her husband repeatedly. And it's just so like, oh. And again, just, as an actor, must be must be difficult. I don't know yeah. how how they do it. I, I just, boy, I, I just couldn't. I think they just substitute Bergman. and Maybe, because... <laughs> Because both of them had relations with Bergman, as yeah, did exactly. Liv Ullman. <laughs> but, uh, and she was seen in American movies, much more than Harriet Anderson. She was in I Never Promised You a Rose Garden, um, Airport 79. Yeah, how did gotta she pay, end up in that one? I don't know. Gotta pay the bills, The guys. Kremlin Letter, which I just watched the other day, which is really bad. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, and sadly... She died a few years ago. She had a major stroke mm. several years ago, and her friend, Lee Ullman, came to read to her. It was almost like a reversal of, of persona. persona. Yeah. yeah. That's really, really sad. That's amazing. Oh, Michael's getting verklempt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I loved Baby Anderson, and one of my biggest regrets is when she came, Bergman did um, Long Day's Journey Tonight, he, uh, brought it to BAM, Bam with her in it, and I did. it was only here for a week, and I didn't go, and I'm kicking myself for not seeing it. I mean, it would have been in Swedish, and I tend not to like subtitles in theater, but I wish I to God I'd seen her in that, because she, she is my favorite of the Bergman actresses, and that's saying oh, a lot, because I love them all. Boy, yeah, that's saying a lot. I am yeah. mine, too. Yeah, uh, I've and, always and she, loved her. She is wonderful, so if you've... If you've I'm not saying you shouldn't watch the the, the American remake because it is sort of interesting, but watch the Swedish one. And um, uh, can you is the original TV yeah miniseries is it easily available? I have it. No, but I mean, can you stream it? I don't know. Probably not. I but it's available know. on DVD. Yeah, I have yeah. the some DVD of us because it is much better than the movie. That it was is. Released Although I think the movie is very good. I if, saw the movie first. If anyone has DVD players still, it's our audience, so Which, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to because not everything's streaming, as we always but say. But Scenes from yeah. Marriage, definitely. Cries and Whispers, as I said before on the episode, our favorite year, which was, was it, episode five? Uh, four, I four think. Four or five. I did say if you haven't seen a Bergman film before, that's not the no, one. No, don't right, with. that's not your story. No, 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 no. Uh, that's I, after I, you've... I've seen a few. I took a lot of my uh, uh, friends from college, dragged them to see that movie because it was out at the time, and some of them are still speaking to me. <laughs> In spite of. Yeah. I, I mean, I with Bergman, with my kids, I would start with the more intellectual, you know, mm -hmm. Seven Seal and Wild Strawberries. Wild Strawberries, yeah. You know, the, yeah. You know, the, the, yeah then, I would not start, would definitely not start with Cries and Whispers, even though commercially at the time it was his biggest hit, which I still don't understand how that could happen. I think mm -hmm. it's because of the name. I, he was well known by yeah. then, and... You know, so people went to go but see as it. I and said, also, I think in the seventies, people were, were a little bit more adventurous in their movie going. Most True. certainly, and in the sixties too. True. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so a tie for number two: Harriet Anderson and Cries and Whispers, and B.B. Anderson and Scenes from a Marriage. See them both. Yep, one hundred percent. All right. So before we go to number ones, let's do quick uh, honorable mentions. Ooh. Johnny, kick it up. Oh, okay. Well, hold on one second there so I can get my uh, my script. <laughs> I'm not just I thinking thought, this off but the John, top of my head. I thought this was totally spontaneous. <laughs> well, it is sort of, but... Line. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the subject of this episode has been underappreciated performances, so I want to give a shout-out to Madeline Kahn. Yes, thank you. Yes. Von Stuck yes. in Blazing Saddles. I watched it last night. Ain't it a quiet <laughs> shame? comic... Comic performances do not get enough praise. No. Nope. And after seeing Blazing Saddles, can you ever forget her rendition? She of was nominated for that. Yes, right? she was. Yeah. She I'm tired. <laughs> She's tired. She's tired. <laughs> I always wonder what Dietrich thought of that. I imagine I she was know. not pleased. Probably she was, not. <laughs> she was still working at the time. Yeah. When that came out. Yeah, well, who knows. But it's, I mean... She's hilarious in it, and she steals the movie. Just perfect. Anyway, Hope Lang in Peyton Place, Vera Miles nice. in The Searchers, Gladys George in The Roaring Twenties, Juanita Moore in Imitation of Life. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Jessica Tandy in The Birds. I think watching The Birds is like watching an expert among amateurs when you see Jessica Tandy. She's so much better than everybody well, else yeah, in and the movie. Rod Taylor and yeah. poor Tippy. Yeah, and last but not least... Just for the way that she lights a cigarette when she finds out her Nazi son is married an American agent, oh, Leopoldine Constantine. Was in that Notorious. her only movie? It's in her America? only. It's her only American movie. And a little tidbit: in 1918, 
She played the title role in a version of Lola Montez. No kidding. All right, that takes us back to our favorite final films by directors from a couple of episodes ago, Max Ophels. That's really it. Yeah, no, I know she was on... She will have to go, Alex. But slowly. (laughs) Alex, Alex! You're so impetuous! (laughs) As I suspected. (laughs) All right, very quickly on my list. Um... (laughs) Uh, I'm not a Mike Nichols fan, but I have Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl because oh, I don't I don't think I have ever seen anyone who usually plays heroes and nice people have that much fun playing the bad guy. I mean, did. she just yeah. tears into it, yeah. and she's wonderful in that. Um, Setsuko Hara in Tokyo Story oh, as the daughter-in-law. Ah, yes. Who is the heart and soul of that film that is number three? We keep talking about Vertigo and Kane. Number three on that list last time was Ozu's Tokyo Story. Um, take your pick, but I, I, longtime listeners know I am a inveterate defender of Jonathan Demme's film A Beloved. Um, it is my favorite American novel to teach, and my favorite moment Which in is that now novel. Being banned. Let's not even don't get me started because that'll we'll we'll, we'll finish next Tuesday. But. Um, <laughs> The, the most powerful moment in the novel and in the film is when uh, Beloved has returned and is slowly destroying her mother as payback for what the mother did to her as a baby. And, the, and Denver, who has grown up in this house of spirits and ghosts and screaming and yelling, the only, the, she understands that the only way that she is going to um, save anybody is to leave the house, which she hasn't done in eight years. And Kimberly Elise plays Denver in her first major role. And the her stepping out of that yard is like stepping off the edge of the world. And I, I cry every time I teach it. There, I can say it in front of you guys. I've known you for a while. And Kimberly Elise makes it re- I mean, you could give it to, to Thondi Newton, which was her first movie appearance for playing the title character. I mean, she's just amazing. Or B. Richards. Who plays I Baby Suggs, the grandmother? Yeah. And it just met all three of those performances. But if I had to settle on one, it would be Kimberly Elise in Jonathan Demi's '98 version of Beloved. Um, back to the '30s for my last two: Margaret Dumont. Yeah. <laughs> in anything, but if I had to narrow it down to one, it's Mrs. Teasdale in Duck Soup. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and remember, <laughs> you're fighting to uphold the honor of this woman, which is more than she ever did for herself. Yes. <laughs> Excellency. You're not so bad yourself. <laughs> oh. Closer. Closer. If I stand here closer, <laughs> so I'll be behind, behind you. you. <laughs> exactly. No, and you know, the two without her, um, which are um, horse, feathers? horse Feathers and Monkey Business, Thelma Todd is the... And, yeah. and she's fine. And those are good movies, but... Margaret Dumont, yeah. No, I mean, they, 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 they need someone to play off of. And, and she, according to Groucho, she never understood the jokes. <laughs> That's starting to. T- I'm I hearing that she did. True. I can't. I, I... And and my last one is is also out of, a little bit out of left field. I am an insane fan of the Warner Brothers series of musicals from the '30s, starting with Forty Second Street, through the Gold Diggers films and Footlight Parade and all of those. And the second one in the series after Forty Second Street is Gold Diggers of 1933. And Gold Diggers of 1933 ends with one of the most criminally overlooked actresses in all of American film history. That would be Joan Blondell. Yay! I love Joan. Right? Doing that number, uh, My Forgotten Man. You know, here in a musical, we're doing, you know, which begins with We're in the Money, for God's sake. Here's Warner's, God bless him, doing this 
10-minute musical number about all the World War I soldiers who had been forgotten and who are starving. And they remember they marched on Hoover's yeah, White House in, right. uh, in 1930. Um, and, and God, it's just such an amazing performance. You're like, why isn't Joan Blondell a major star? She always worked. Yeah, and she always one worked. of her last films, if you haven't seen it, is John Cassavetti's opening night. Yeah. No, I have not seen it. I, I will lend it to you. I have it. I don't know if you can stream it. If you can't stream it, I have it. It's um, basically about a uh, actress, Jenna Rollins, who's having a complete, total breakdown doing this play. And um, Joan Blondell plays the playwright. And as good as... And Rollins is, of course, magnificent, but, but Joan Blondell is in there. Yeah. And uh, she said when she made it, she was like really confused because she said, everywhere you go, there's a camera. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't the way she worked in Warner Brothers. But she's truly wonderful. And I I believe that was like two or three years before her death. So, and I just, two very quick ones. Anne Dowd, uh, who was one of our most underrated actresses in uh, Ari Aster's first great horror film, uh, Hereditary. She's extraordinary in it. She's great in The Leftovers, too. Everyone see The Leftovers. It's amazing. And Meryl Streep for something, and it has to be for uh, Devil Wears Prada. Ah, she's great in it. Yeah. yeah. Never raising her voice above a whisper. Oh, yeah. That's all. Yeah. And it's just yeah. pure as a monster. She's brilliant. I, I, I wanted to say Joan Blondell. I love Joan Blondell and A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's that moment where, and she she's always very aware of what's going on with the the young girl. Mm-hmm. And she's there in the class and she knows exactly what's going on when she, when she pulls her out of the class and she goes, let it go, kid, or whatever, because she... She just she just reads that kid so well. It's just so wonderful. You just fall in love with Joan Blondell. Yep, as natural I, yeah. and effortless an actress, yeah. actress that yeah. I've ever seen. I loved her in Lady Fingers. As yeah. Lady Fingers in the Cincinnati Kid. Yeah. Yep. And I just want to make a kind of a sad notice, a note here. Um, I told you about this horrible remake of The Women. Yes. Uh, called The Opposite of Sex, I believe. It's a yep. musical. Three of the actresses we talked about were in that movie. Agnes Moorhead, Joan Blondell, and Ann Sheridan. Wow. Wow. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's a dreadful movie. <laughs> They're fine Ooh, in it, but... Really yeah, interesting. It's just, uh, All right, Mikey, your, oh, honor, your honorable mentions. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, I'll just briefly mention, because... Uh, yeah. Thelma Ritter in anything but yep. All About Eve and A Letter to the Three Wives. Letter to the Three Wives, she wasn't even credited. Is that right? Yeah. She's not credited in the in the movie at all. She's, That's bizarre. I know. That's bizarre. She was nominated, what, seven times? Six times. Six times. She has the record. We'll get we'll get back to her later. Yeah. Uh, uh, but those two films. Vanessa Redgrave. I want to... Uh, two very distinct performances within a five-year period. Prick Up Your Ears. Oh, Stephen God, Frears, I love that movie. Where she plays Peggy Ramsey, the famed uh, literary agent. And then uh, Howard's End, where she plays Ruth uh, Wilcox. And like Harriet Anderson, this is a woman who has cancer. And she just kind of brings it off. She doesn't go through the pain that Anderson does, but you know she's ill. Yeah. And the way she haltingly talks. She, she She's quite a brilliant actress. And... Those two uh, films, it's a great movie. no argument in, in particular. My favorite, Mary Astor. Oh, yes. Uh, in one of the uh, my favorite uh, 
Preston Sturges's film, uh, uh, The Palm Beach Story. Oh, she is just so completely funny and daffy, and it makes you wish that she'd been in a Howard Hawks film. Toto. Neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. It's too bad she yeah, wasn't. It yeah. wasn't. I mean, I, she did a couple of comic comedy movies, but I think she played it straight. And it, but it, it's too bad that she wasn't used uh, well. I, I love her to death. She, she's just... She's just one of the most underrated actors. See Dodsworth, everybody, please. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting about Mary Astor's that all of a sudden she became the mom part. Yeah. Yeah. And, Sadly, and she was. I mean, she's still she's really good, good but within but a period of maybe two years, all of a sudden she was yeah. always the mom. And I mean, you see her in something like Meet Me in St. Louis, and you just kind of go, "She's good, but God, you, she's wasted." Yeah. Yes. Exactly. One hundred percent. She should be doing something. Yeah. Uh, much better. The great Margaret Rutherford, who did win an Oscar for the VIPs, but this is for Blythe Spirit, David Lean's Blythe Spirit. Lovely. Written for her. Noel Coward wrote the role especially for her. She did it in London, on stage in London. She got repeated. She's still my favorite, Madame uh, Akardai. And um, a ten, well, I've got a few here. One that I... He's cheating again. I'm cheating. I'm going to do a few more because... It's going to be an hour of him and a half hour of the two I love love actresses. He's on a roll. Let him go. Uh, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned... None of us have mentioned it, unless you're doing it for your number one. Uh, Gene Hagen? No. Gene Hagen in Singing in the Rain. She was nominated, I know. She was nominated. Oh, she's great. Yeah. It was only one of three nominations that movie got. That was not... People forget it was not a hit. Listen to our alternate Oscars of the 50s episode. And she didn't have much of a career after that. She worked. She was on the Danny Thomas show for a couple years. And she showed up, but she did not have a big film career. And and Miss Lamont, round tone. She is the reason that movie (laughs) is as good as it is. A tie... Between Gina Dar and Josephine Hull in Arsenic and, and Old Lace. Oh, sure. Perfectly this, cast yeah. Both of them did uh, the play, and both of them did, did not have much of a film career. Josephine Hull Wasn't later... Harvey. Right. Harvey, Harvey, yes. Yes, Josephine yeah. Hull later did Harvey, which she also repeated from the stage, and won the Oscar for right. that. But uh, both of them only had about two or three uh, uh, talk, talkie roles. And frankly, I, I, I don't love... Arsenic and Old Lace as much as other people. I, oh, I, I love it. I, love I agree. It. With, I don't love the film. I don't love the film. I agree with what Cary Grant said. You think he's too much? I think he's too much, mm-hmm. and I'm not crazy about um, Raymond Massey in it. I wish they could have gotten, oh, gotten Karloff. Karloff, well, who yeah. did it on stage? Why it couldn't been, they wait? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. And I'm I not. I was not a huge fan. Of, well, that's uh, you know that was something of that year. Is like, yeah. no, we want it out. Blah blah. That's and it, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the play. The the ending of the film is far more sinister than the. I mean, the ending of the play is far more sinister than the film. Mm. It's really really funny. And I'm throwing in Sylvia Sidney. Mm. Yay! Her, Yay! Another I great love, I love in her Sydney. in her return to films after 20 years. She did some TV, but this was in her 10 minute role in Summer Wishes Winter Dreams, huh. which I've talked about. Yeah. She plays Joanne Woodward's uh, Manhattan. Uh, Herod and Mother, and she's uh, wonderful in it. It's her only Oscar nomination. She lost it to Tatum O'Neill. Ouch. <laughs> Paper Moon. Oof. And she's she's uh, quite excellent in it. I could, go, I could go on. With supporting actresses, I could go on all night, but I'm not going to. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I had 20 more or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, narrowing down this list I was mean, tough. Not hard. And I, I love, there's three movies from the 30s that I absolutely love. Sylvia Sidney and mm-hmm. Dead End. Yep. Uh, Fury. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. sabotage. and sabotage. Yeah. I also love her and you only uh, live once. Oh, she's good in that yeah. too, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love her in Street Scene, the Vader film. Oh, yeah. yeah. From yeah. Uh, 31, I think that we'll is. We'll do an episode about Sylvia Sylvia. Oh, we could. Great, like we Joan Londell. Yeah. But, great for, but a long period, she did not work in film. She did mainly theater and yeah. some TV. Yeah. And that was her big uh, comeback role. And after that, she didn't stop working. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the few older actresses that my younger friends know of because of Beetlejuice right. and yeah. uh, that other... Um, Oh, the Jack Nicholson where he's president. Mars Attacks. Oh, good lord. Yeah, she's in that. <laughs> Tim Burton going yeah, off the rails before yeah. our eyes. All right. As Dr. Demento used to say, it's time for number one. Yes, we are at number one, my friends, top of the list. And I think I feel a little bit of Hitchcock coming on for a couple of us. Johnny, kick it off. Okay, my number one is Thelma Ritter as Stella. James Stewart's Nurse in Rear Window, 1954, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I have I have her tied with her also her appearance in Pickup on South Street. Yes. Oh, Sam Fuller, uh, yes. But in Rear Window, she is the character she plays. Uh, Stella is this very honest, direct, insightful, and witty, and she turns every line she has into pure gold. It's just so effortless. There's never a false move. And I never, ever get tired of watching her in that movie. She's just absolutely great in it. And you know, and a lovely counterpoint to Grace Kelly, yes. who's almost walking above the ground. She's yes. so ethereal. Yeah. And Thelma Ritter yes. is the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like right there. Let's, like. So let's drag the river for body parts. Come <laughs> yeah. on, let's get yeah. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in Pick Up on South Street, 1953, uh, excuse me, directed by Samuel Fuller, it's sort of a... Cold War spy movie wrapped up as a, noir, a film almost. noir yeah. movie. Uh, she plays Mo, and Mo makes her living selling men's ties on the street, and also selling information to the police. And she has this incredible scene. Uh, she comes home one day after a hard day. She's absolutely exhausted. You can see all her physical and psychological exhaustion. And she finds Richard Kiley waiting for her. Mm-hmm. You just see a foot go on the bed. That's all you see of him at first. And, and it's funny the way, because her reaction is as if she knew he was going to be there. She's not really surprised. And she knows what's going to happen. And you see all the fear and regret in her face. And she just starts talking and she starts to taunt him. <laughs> knowing that, she's, that this guy's going to kill her. And she refuses to give out information because she, sa- she has one line. She says, I don't know that much about communists, but I know I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it might be her finest moment. In the oh, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. And she has so many of them. Yep. Yep. I yep. mean... Another uh, one who's absolutely effortless. And yeah. she only had a career that lasted about 20 years. Yeah. Uh, she didn't make her, her first film was another uncredited part in uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Huh. That's right. Yeah, that was, I think that's the first movie she appeared in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did some stage, but I think she took a lot of time off to uh, raise a family. Yes, exactly. Her, her, her life almost reads like a Thelma Ritter role. She kind of took some time off from, from acting to help to raise her family, and her husband was at first an actor and then became, uh, uh, I think, an executive at one of the advertising companies. And it's 
it's like she's she's Stella in her real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. I but mean, uh, uh, I can't think of a role that she had uh, that I disliked her in. And Birdman of Alcatraz. Yep. Oh, she's, she's great in it. She's great in it. She is hilarious in Pillow Talk. Oh, yeah. Another one of her. She has six Oscar nominations, never won. I think she holds the record for the most supporting never actress. Never yeah. Nominations and, and uh, never won. In a, um, a movie called The Marriage Broker. Yeah. Uh, she's wonderful in that. Um, even in How the West Was Won, which is a terrible movie. <laughs> True. Oh, my God. And Turner Classic Movies keeps showing it. I, I don't, don't know, know why I, they keep showing it. I think it. it's to punish somebody. <laughs> um, Eventually we'll win the West, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then one of her last movies, she's very very serious. Wait, is this my number one or your number one? Oh, I'm sorry, I just <laughs> talked about. Well, you no, talked I, about the roles. I, I had, could talk no, about no, Thelma no, Ritter no, all no, night. No, no, it's fine. It's fine because I was. That's what I was going to talk about. So it's fine. I'm sorry. And I know you go wanted, on. You wanted, <laughs> I know you wanted to pick her too. So. I wanted to pick her too. All right, fair enough. And, it's a team and, effort. And, it's a team effort. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Bitch is saying team. But, uh, but Thelma Ritter, I, I'm, I'm sorry. If people don't know who she is, they really should watch her. Oh, yeah. Um, and a great place to start is Rear Window. It's Rear Window. Yes, it's Rear perfect. Window is excellent. And Although, South since we're, we're approaching Christmas time, Miracle on 34th Street, scene. even though she has a little short scene. Right. <laughs> and All About Eve, just because it's a fantastic movie. It's All About I Eve. I mean... Uh, those three um, alone, but I'm sorry, John. No, <laughs> no, no, you I kind of got As carried I said, away. I on could the, have talked. About, I could do a whole episode on film already. Yeah. Well, and I, with mine, I'm staying with Hitchcock, and I actually found myself surprised that I was picking this at number one because it's um, it's an actress who had sort of an odd career, and it was interrupted a little bit by a little bit of blacklist investigation in the '50s. But every time I see Barbara Belgetti's in Vertigo. I, I just wonder, why isn't... I want more of her. Yes. You know, it's interesting. We teach Roald Dahl's Lamb to the Slaughter in... Oh, um, I love in that eight, In eighth grade. And right. And she does the adaptation on Hitch, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yeah. You know, about I think that was the very Lamb. first one, wasn't it? Yeah. And the kids just go crazy about her. They love her. And, and there's that stare, that sort of mad stare at the end, which kind of prefigures Norman Bates a couple of years later in Psycho. Yeah. But she... Um, and I, you you know more than I do about her theater career. I know she yes. was the original Maggie, Maggie the Cat. Maggie the Cat. Yep. And I know she was in Moon is Blue. Yep. Right? And um, She had quite an extensive theater career. Yep. She was in I Remember Mama, which she was, you know, sort, sort of first. That's her Oscar nomination. And Panic in the Streets, the, one of the great pandemic films before pandemic films became a thing. But I love her. I mentioned Caught. When we were talking about Max Ophuls, I mentioned Caught, which is his mm-hmm. last American film. And your great love of Robert Ryan from yeah. last week and yep. James Mason's in it it's yep, a yep, yep. really odd psychological little noir that she is just wonderful in and then after the early 50s as I said there was this sort of interruption I, she still did worked on stage right she wasn't 60s. blacklisted but I know she was investigated it's a yeah. little the details are a little fuzzy well that was the nice thing about working on stage I, yeah you, I was going to say they didn't really blacklist, blacklist the people the on theater. stage right no, I'm saying, but but she wasn't in film no. in the mid-50s. No. And then, I don't know who on Hitchcock's team chose her for Midge, but... I, I, I think it was Hitchcock. It, it was, was probably Hitchcock. Hitchcock, yeah. I mean, she 
she's never flashy and her performance just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. I mean, and she, it, it, it's for me, it's comparable with what I was talking about with Lillian Gish in uh, Night of the Hunter, who has to play against a much more showy, a much more spectacular part. Mitchum's, you know, yeah. playing pure evil. Yeah. And here, you know, Madeline slash Judy is the dream and she's the real girl. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little harder to play the real girl against the dream girl, you know, against Kim Novak. And she totally manages, I mean, she's mother. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, you know, Midge, yeah. don't be so motherly. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the scene in the institution after Madeline dies. And, you know, mother's here. And, yeah. you know, she's... And, and yet, and there are just so many moments. First of all, she gives, there's the only humor in the film, right. in that deeply, darkly serious film come from her, painting herself on the yeah. portrait of Carlotta, yeah. talking about the bra that's based on the principle of the right. cantilever bridge, you know, and um, oh, sort of a hobby, spare time kind of thing, yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it, you whole studies have been done about the color scheme of Vertigo. She is yellow. She is neutral. She, I mean, her apartment is bright yellow. Yeah. Always feels like she's wearing yellow even when she's not. And there's that moment when they're talking about good old college days when he mentions that Gavin Elster's gotten in touch with him. And we were engaged for, for yeah, two yeah. whole weeks. It was you two whole weeks. And you broke it off. And yeah. Hitchcock's camera is a little <laughs> bit above her, looking down at yeah. her. And she kind of looks up. And there and is a whole, over her glasses. right, a whole novel worth of emotion. Yes. yes. In that one shot and that one glance, and um, I, I want to know that. Ever since I first saw Vertigo, like forty years ago, I I want to know what happened. Why did she break it off? Yeah. What was she thinking? Yeah. Right. Uh, just just incredible. And she is the real world. She represents reality and her disappearance from the film because when she walks out, you know, and I don't think Mozart's going to help, and she walks out, and there's that, probably the slowest fade-out in movie history, and then we come back to the light of San Francisco. But his anchor to reality is gone. He's lost. And he sees Judy and and the rest of the film unfolds. And that's where the camera starts to move in the opposite direction. Oh, well, you know, vertigo. But (laughs) but she is, you know, she is always the most underestimated part of that. And in some ways, she's kind of the anchor of the film. Thank you. I I agree with you. And I love every, every... Every word, every gesture. I love that character. I can I can totally understand why Scotty falls for Madeline. You know, Lord knows it's Kim Novak. You know, at her most ethereal. But um, I I think that it was a brilliant casting choice. And I always leave Vertigo thinking, God, I wish Barbara Bel Geddes were in more films. Of course, I know people from my generation know her as Miss Ellie. And uh, but okay, yeah, well, you got to pay the Sure, and I, I don't begrudge it. At all, but, but it is bother me that that's what she's famous in a fil- in a film that is now regarded as you know for at least until next year when the sight and sound comes out as the greatest film ever. She is, I think, the most underestimated part of that film, and I just adore. Yeah, her I, in it the doesn't movie. work without without that character and without that performance. And I, I have thought the same thing that 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 shot you're talking about. Where it goes when you see her look above her glasses when you find out that she's the one who broke it off, and you you want to know like what happened. And, and that's all from I have eyes. I have my own little story that I made up about that, and I think it's that she knew that he was not he wasn't mature enough yet to, get to have a really real committed relationship, which is part of the reason why he pursues something that is dreamlike that's not really real, because real life is messy. Right. 
and unglamorous and, and unglamorous yellow and, and neutral. And, and, yeah, yeah exactly. and he has to take responsibility for his actions. Whereas chasing something that doesn't really exist doesn't have to do that. Chasing the dream ghost, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So my number one, Barbara Bel Getty, is in my favorite movie in the world, Excellent. Vertigo. Mikey, your number one. My number one was actually an easy choice. Uh, an actress who I frankly don't always like. Um, but uh, this is one of the great, one of the great performances of of film, and that's Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Iceland in the Manchester. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. Pure evil incarnate. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, babe. <laughs> <laughs> So you something positive about about well, Senator Iceland's wife? She's well. She's smart. She's, she's in control. Smart. She's in control. <laughs> she, until the very end. Spoiler alert: she gets shot. Um, I think Michael needs to relax by playing a little solitaire. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, she is almost. I mean, Sinatra's great in it. Uh, don't get me wrong, and and Lawrence Harvey, who I normally mm, oh, he's excellent in it. He's great. And, like, and you could I almost go with Janet Leigh, who's who Janet, is the, actually I almost put Janet Leigh on my list. Well, right? that would be yeah, she's the good sport right. because when that movie came out, it was the the top uh, you know listing was uh, Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, and Janet Leigh, and Janet Leigh has very little to do in that film. Yeah, she's wonderful in it. Brilliant character. Rosie is such a yeah. well-written character. But, but she film. has very little. She she is a support. She has less screen time than Lansbury. Much. But it is important, in a way, for the surprise for Lansbury to be the supporting. Yeah. Uh, yes. She uh, for people who haven't seen it, she's this manipulative uh, wife of a Republican. Oh, should I say that? <laughs> Well, he is. Is he a Republican? And they don't actually state. I think it. it's pretty. Is it? I think he is. Okay. Yeah, I think it's pretty a, a Joe McCarthy like. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. He was a Republican. There are no fewer than fifty-seven. How many? And... How many senator? <laughs> I need a number I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> and she turns thirteen. <laughs> and then there is a big twist towards the end of the film oh, where uh, we find out that she is actually the communist plot. Uh, it's American operative. Yeah. American operative, and you are shocked. When I saw it, I was. Uh, I was like, no. You just. <laughs> I you know. I do totally not was. expect that. And, and that's for because, you to be surprised like that, saying something. Yeah. No, really. I mean, I remember seeing it as a teenager on TV, and I'm going, huh? Really? <laughs> and I, I, I was, I, I was stunned. Uh, if you see the remake. Which is not very, not very good. Oh, I, yeah. Jonathan no. Demme. No, awful. Even if you don't know anything about the original, you know immediately that Streep is involved in it. You know, no, no subtlety no, to it. Yeah. No subtlety at all. And the scene, which is what I think is one of the greatest acting pieces, is when uh, she is telling her son exactly what's going to happen and how she became yeah. the operative. She does it with no makeup. She, mm. the, the lighting is harsh. She looks horrible. Is that when she kisses him? Yeah. Yeah. And in the book, it's it's made clear that she has um, the, mo- thing the movie is a little little iffy about that, but uh, that scene is one of one of the great acting 
feats in its in itself. It's just Lansbury is so good as I said. I I don't like her in Murder She Wrote, frankly. <laughs> I, I Although it does play, take place in Cabot Cove, Cabot so you got to give me that. <laughs> the murder want to go to Cabot Cove, the, murder the capital, capital of the world. <laughs> And I didn't. I didn't particularly like her in the movie she did previously to um, uh, mention Candidate All Fall Down, which was also for Frankenheimer. From Frankenheimer, yeah, yeah. They, uh, you heard the story that uh, Sinatra wanted right. Lucille Ball, Lucille Ball yeah. to play that part, and uh, Frankenheimer was totally against it. He just showed Sinatra the rushes from All Fall Down. But I don't particularly like her in that. I think she, I love her in Gaslight, though. In her she's great. Part. Her other two nominations were Gaslight in uh, '44 and uh, the Picture of Dorian Gray. There you go again. In '44, away closet. from the closet, everybody. Yeah, exactly. And she did a lot of good film work. She she has a fascinating career because yep. it's in three parts: her film career, then her stage musical career. Which she's quite good in everything. And I, I saw her in Sweeney Todd back I've in '79. One of the great musical performances. Yep. And then Murder She Wrote, which made her a very famous, wealthy woman. But she wasn't really that famous. Right. Before. Um, I just uh, saw her a few years ago as the uh, as the mother in a little night in a little night yeah, music. Yeah. Terrible production, at, at but she was great. Yeah, Catherine Zeta Jones singing. Ooh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but she was great. She Angela was great. Was great. Um, and. Um, Murder, She Wrote wasn't even written. It was written for Gene Stapleton. Huh. And Stapleton didn't want to do TV. So the, Interesting. Uh, Lansbury was like a second choice because Lansbury didn't have the TV cue that Gene Stapleton yeah. had. Well, yeah. it, go, it goes without saying for our listeners that if you haven't seen the original Mentoring Candidate, that shoots right to the top. Of the yeah, list. and Lansbury is really, really brilliant. When she, she's 97 now, 96, 97. I hope that that will be in the first... It won't be, probably, but it should be in the first paragraph of her obituary. Just... Because it is... And brilliant. she was how old when she did this? 37. Yeah. And Lawrence Harvey was 34. That's yeah. right, yeah. Just like... A, yeah. A, Amazing. Because yeah. she always... Always played she, older. Yeah, she always played older. Older. She could. I mean, in um, uh, State of the Union, which she is quite good in. Yeah, she's excellent uh, in it. Excellent in it. She's Spencer Tracy's mistress. Tracy was 49. She was 22. Yeah. But you don't go, you. No, no, no. no. She, there's something about her. Mm-hmm. That, it's, it's her acting ability. That yeah. It's putting in the homework, folks. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, they, and that's our lesson from either, this episode. Even in Gaslight. I mean, where she's yeah. the maid. And there were certain and scenes. She's, and she's so different in that part, too. Mm-hmm. She's this really saucy tart. <laughs> you know, she couldn't smoke in that. They wanted her to smoke, and she was too young. <laughs> she was amazing. 17 when That's she shot lovely. that. Wow. Yeah. Miles. yeah, 17 going on 40. So, right. boy, we have we have really covered ground today, man. We, we've, we've stopped off in nearly every decade of, uh, of like American yeah. films. So, uh, 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 amazing I, stuff. I could have gone on for hours with this. Yeah, luckily. and that's, and again... Well, perhaps we will return to this subject in a later episode. Absolutely. We could do a, a, a part two of the part two. And yeah. I, uh, and, you know, obviously we'll do, we're going to divide this episode in half as we did with supporting actors. Um, but, um, my goodness, and again, I'll say again, I have learned so much from this and my list of films that I need to see, thanks to you two, has just, you know, grown, there's so much I need to catch up on having focused maybe a little too much on the director thing and not enough on the acting thing. Well, something I've, I've said before is that you can have a great, great screenplay, a great director, great cinematography, great production design. If you have bad actors, you're going to have a bad movie. Yeah. 
Robert, yeah. Robert Altman once said that uh, 90% of the success of his films are the casting. Yeah, no, I, I, and, and we, we, some of the casting choices we talked about tonight were a little offbeat and unusual, and it absolutely worked. All right, we have a mercifully short necrology. Very short yes. necrology. Everyone staying alive, good, yes, please. lovely. All right, For go, month, Mikey, go. only two notables died. Of course, Dean Stockwell, uh, 85. He acted in over 200 films and TV wow. shows. He made his debut at age nine in Anchors Away. And the Valley of Decision. He was also uh, boy with the green hair. Yeah, boy with the green hair. Gentleman's Agreement and Kim. Then he left acting at age sixteen, only to come back in five years and made um, Sons and Lovers, Compulsion, which he won the Cannes Film Festival Award with Bradford Dillman. Terrific in that. I've forgotten. And Long Day's Journey into Night, which he also won the Cannes Film Festival Award with. Catherine Hepburn, Ralph Richardson, and Jason Robards. Yeah, 62. Um, uh, I didn't realize, by the way, that his, he was the younger uh, brother of Guy Stockwell. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was in the obituary. I had huh. no idea. Who died, uh, I think, 10 years ago. Then he left the business again and got involved with the underground hippie movement in Haight-Ashbury. Of course. He appeared in one of your favorite films. You bet. The last yeah. movie. Yes. <laughs> He did sporadic TV shows, but then came roaring back in the 80s with Blue Velvet and Married to the Mob, which he won the New York Film Critics Award, National Society of Film Critics I Award, and an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. This is Mike from Dubuque. <laughs> God, I love that movie. And we got to, got to, got to, got to go to Ben's. I mean, just just doing the, the you know his lip syncing to uh, in dreams. Oh, oh my God! In, oh. Yeah, in blue velvet. And then his other so where that character came from, I'll never know. <laughs> then his other big big commercial success was on TV with Quantum, Quantum Leap. Leap. Yeah. Sure. His other film uh, films included Tucker, The Man in His Dreams, which I love. Paris, Texas, The Player, and To Live and Die in L.A. Sure. But he, as I said, he made over 200 films. That's amazing. For somebody who left the business three times. Yeah, I know. I that's know. what's... Uh, yeah, I guess he, he he said something about that he, as a child actor, he really didn't like it. No, he didn't. And I think he left to try to find something Something he else that like, he realized. That he really kept realizing, like, well, I do that better. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And the other one uh, is uh, playwright Jonathan Reynolds. Now, I don't know that name. Yeah, well, you might know the play, and you know a few screenplays that he wrote. He wrote off-Broadway comedies, including Rubbers, Yanks 3, Detroit Zero, and most successfully, Geniuses, hmm. a satire in the movie business. It was inspired by the three months he spent in the Philippines with Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, of course. God. While Coppola was shooting Apocalypse Now. Yep. He was taking notes for a possible book about the making of the movie and possibly contribute to the, to the script. The book never came about, and the contribution to the script was a single line of dialogue. <laughs> but Geniuses, which I did see, was at Playwrights Horizons, produced it originally, and ran off Broadway for, I think, almost a year. It was a very funny play about this movie company. And every, they didn't use, say, Apocalypse yeah. Now, but everybody knew. Yeah. It was just the world's, uh, you know, worst, worst secret. Uh, then he wrote Mickey and Maud for Blake Edwards, and then he wrote some real losers. Hmm. Leonard Part Six, 
Oh my God, the Bill Cosby film yes. from the 80s. God, that was horrifying. Yep. A switching Channels, a very bad remake of His Girl Friday Oof. with uh, Burt Reynolds oh, and Kathleen yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember that. Really wow. bad. My Stepmother is an Alien and The Distinguished Gentleman. And then from 2000 to 2005, he wrote a column about food for the New York Times magazine, Sunday hmm. Magazine. And he was also on the staff for David Frost and Dick Cavett. Interesting. So he died at 79. All right. Oh, that was Oof, nice. That was, that was my nose merciful. Not short. Do stay so alive, many. everybody. Everybody just stay please, alive. That's, please don't die that out there. direct order from Team Vintage Sand. All right, Johnny, our monthly, now monthly uh, feature, uh, John Myers Quote Quiz. Let's First okay. of all, let's uh, talk about the answer to last okay. month's quote. The quote from the last time. You bastard. Yes, sir. In my case, an accident of birth. But you, you're a self-made man. <laughs> that is Lee Marvin to Ralph Bellamy from The Professionals, 1966, directed by Richard Brooks, also with Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan, Mike's father, Woody Strode. <laughs> In another life. <laughs> Claudia Cardinale and Jack Palance. So, our new quote is, When you're young, you believe there are many people you'll connect with. Later in life, you realize it only happens a few times. End scene. All right, interesting. All right, so now you will look for, if you think you, if you're jumping up and down at home saying, I know that one, I know that one. All right, go double check on our website, www.vintagesand.com to find out the answer and uh, to get all the information about the films we've talked about and the actors and actresses we've talked about. Uh, check it out. So, um, it is a good time. Mike's got his tickets for Licorice Pizza for next weekend. I've got my tickets for French Dispatch. Uh, for tomorrow, which I'm I'm very excited about seeing. I saw Dune, by the way. And um, I liked it a little. I, I you know Villeneuve was smart to do what Lynch. You know Lynch tried to jam it all into one one movie. You can't. And so this is just the first half. I'm not entirely sold on Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get there. And Paul is the heart of the film. But great cast. And Denny Villeneuve, you know, who did Arrival, who did Blade Runner 2049, which you everyone knows I love so much has such a beautiful visual sense. I recommend it, but see it on a big screen if you can. And, it, I, it, and I saw Belfast. Oh, the Brannock. The Brannock, which is probably going to win the best picture. I'm really? Guessing. I'm not saying it's the best picture. It's very, very good. It's almost like a cousin to Roma. Wow. It's his Ooh. life as a Ooh, child. That's a bold Ooh. statement. And, well, I think Roma's better, but that's just me. But it's very good, beautifully acted, including from the nine-year-old child in you know how I feel about child actors. But and children put them in, in boiling oil. Yeah, well, <laughs> Michael's dream role is the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> children, <laughs> I have lollipops. <laughs> I think the child catcher was rather misunderstood. Misunderstood. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> but but uh, but uh, Belfast, very. Um, the kid was played, I forget the name of the child, but he was very, very good. All right, so, and of course, and, with, a, uh, and with the holidays coming, there is more good oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. stuff coming. So, for our December episode, we're going to dip back into the well of, of Danny Peary and do what I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to more than this one, more than any of the other alternative Oscar shows, which, by the way, when I speak to people, they always like those ones, the the alternative Oscar shows, because, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, it always frustrates me when they get it wrong. We're going to 
go back and do the 1930s, the first, first full decade in which Oscars were given out, and talk about our choices for Best Picture, what we what was chosen and what we would have given. There are some really atrocious choices oh, yeah. in the 30s. Anyone who has seen Cimarron or Cavalcade mm, will know God. exactly what I'm talking the about. <laughs> the Life of Emile Zola. You can't oh. take it with you, even. Oh. Did they get it right? Any I don't think they got it right at all. No, I don't no. think so. Maybe, no. maybe uh, it, it happened, happened one, one night. night. Yeah, yeah, maybe. All right. But um, so there you go. Although I'm giving it to another film that okay, year. Okay, no. So, and that's And we'll have more John Blundell. That's John Blundell. So that's our, there's no such thing as too much Joan Blondell. No. So that is the end of episode uh, thir- 34, uh, which will be a two-parter, of course. And um, next, as I said, for December, episode 35, alternate Oscars for the 30s. Uh, just a gentle reminder, as ever, that uh, Vintage Sand is a five nines and a four production. I uh, want to thank Melissa for her technical help, Mama Sue for the, for the use of the hall, Gabby for the kick-ass logo. Um, and remember that the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Check out the website, www.vintagesand.com. And have a wonderful, safe, happy, and tasty Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy this episode. We will see you next time. And until then, may your favorite films always be streaming.